0: Thanks everyone for being out tonight, appreciate uh, you being here, appreciate the opportunity to worship our God together, thank you for the reading Joseph, thank you for the singing and the prayer, thank you for your concern for our family in the coming days, we appreciate uh, your love and your concern. Tonight I want to talk a little bit about uh, the God that we serve, and we saw a little bit of that in the passage that Joseph just read for us. You know, the common thought of many people in our society today is that uh, the, the idea of a supreme being, of a God, is subjective. It's vague. There may or may not be a God, many people think. And if there is a God, people are open to you defining what God is any way that you want. Uh, it could be, for example, if you live in the Far East, God might be uh, Buddha. Or it might be Allah if you live in the Middle East. It might even be nature or humanity. It's however you want to define God. And what we're told in our society is that all of these ideas, however you define God, it's okay. And we ought to tolerate and embrace that. And If your God is Allah and your God is Buddha and Muhammad, whatever, you need to just, that's, that's fine. We should embrace that. We should be open-minded to that. But, you know, the condition that we find ourselves in today in the religious world is no different than it's been throughout time. Throughout time, people for thousands of years have created their own idea of God and worshiped that idea. And when we do that, it always fails miserably in comparison to the one true God. And when we fail to understand God's characteristics, it's detrimental to our spiritual well-being and it has eternal consequences. And this is true for those who don't know God at all, but it's also true for those of us who endeavor to follow God. If we don't understand God's characteristics and his divine traits, then it is harmful to us and can have eternal consequences. We, as Christians, need to understand God's nature, and we need to reverence and respect God as we live our lives, because our soul's eternity could be at stake. And so tonight, if you would, turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. In Isaiah chapter 40, Joseph read us a small portion of the text that we want to look at tonight that helps us to understand more about God and who it is that we worship and we serve. Let's start reading in Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 12. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12, please. "'Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand?' Measured heaven with a span and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure. Weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket. And are counted as the small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beasts sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing. They are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare to him? The workman molds an image. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold, and the silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth that it is he who sets above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers? Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth. When he shall blow will also blow on them and they will wither. And the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me or to whom shall I be equal says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created all these things. Who brings out their host by number? He calls them all by name, by the greatness of His might and the strength of His power. Not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, Neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The characteristics of God that are presented here are incredible, and they're without compare. And these characteristics tell us about God and help help us understand the God that we serve. Let's look at some of those characteristics tonight. First of all, we see first about God in this passage that I want to look at, the points I want to look at with you tonight. We see His unfathomable greatness. Look at verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure... Weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. God has measured the waters of the earth in the hollow of His hand. Have you ever taken a drink out of the hollow of your hand? Maybe you have. Maybe been like me—you didn't have a cup nearby, and so you just stuck that hand underneath the faucet. Maybe and took it. You can get a little bit of water in the hollow of your hand, but not much. God can get all the waters of the earth in the hollow of His hand. Isn't that incredible? That's how great he is, how incredibly great he is. He's measured the heaven with a span. The span is the distance between your pinky finger and your thumb. It's about six inches on us. That's the entire universe for God right there, the span of his hand. Amazing. And he's calculated the dust of the earth in a measure. You may have a lot of dust in your house. If you've got kids, you probably do. You ain't got all the dust of the earth in your house. All the dust of the earth is like a measure. You have measures in your house, don't you, for baking that hold just a little bit. God has measuring cups big enough for all the dust of the earth. And he's weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. We have scales in our house, don't we, for measuring those ingredients that we bake with? They may go up to a pound or two. And you probably have some scales in your bathroom that may go up to a couple hundred pounds. God has scales to measure the hills and the mountains. Isn't that amazing? God is a God of unfathomable greatness. He's also a God of unbounded wisdom. Unbounded wisdom. Look at verse 13 of our text. Isaiah 40, beginning of verse 13. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of justice, who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? For almost everything you know, someone had to teach you. Your ABCs. Somebody taught you those your colors, how to tie your shoes, how to eat. Someone taught you. Who taught God? Who taught God? When God went out to decide what was right and what was wrong, who taught him that? No one taught God. When God decided that telling the truth was right and telling a lie was wrong, no one had to, he didn't have to consult with anybody. He didn't have to get some advice on what should we say is right or wrong. No one taught God. He didn't have to take counsel and inst- get instruction in the path of justice. God knew it. And when he was ready to give us the Bible, did he form some type of committee, some kind of study group to decide how are we going to write this and what should it say and how will we put it together and how will we deliver it? No, he didn't have anybody to help him with that. And yet he delivered to us the greatest book of all time. No one helped him with it. God never went to school. He never graduated from college. He never got instruction from anyone. And yet he determined what was right and wrong and delivered to us a book. If you were to put together all the scholars that ever lived on the earth, they couldn't get anywhere close to what God has given us in the Bible. God is a God of unbounded wisdom. And God is also a God of unparalleled supremacy. God is a God of unparalleled supremacy. Look at verse 15. Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales. Look, He lifts up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn nor its beast sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. All the nations are as a drop in a bucket. Have you ever been painting around the house and run out of paint? I've done that because I'm a cheapskate. I don't like to buy any more paint than I'm going to have to have. And I've run out of paint before. But you know, when I run out of pain, I'm not really out of pain. There are a few drops left in that bucket, but they're not any good. I can't do anything with them. And that's what it's like within nations of the earth. They're, not, they're useless. They're insignificant. He's so much more supreme than any other nation here on earth. They're just like a drop in the bucket. They're nothing to him. You've got bathroom scales at home. We talked about those. And maybe you're on a diet. Maybe you're being very diligent about your diet and you want to you measure every ounce of weight that you lose. And I know that you probably, maybe like one of those people who gets up in the morning, that's the first thing you want to do is weigh because you don't want to drink any water because that's weight. You want as little weight as you can get. And so you're careful about that. Do you ever go to your scales and dust them off before you weigh? No, oh, that's not going to make any difference. Be as much dust on there as you want. It's not going to make a difference. But that's what it is like for God. They're counted as the small dust on the scale, these nations of the earth. We look at the nations around us and we think, wow, that's impressive. Not to God. He's so much more supreme than all the nations of the earth. He says here that they're less than nothing and worthless. That's how great the God is that we're serving. He's a God of unparalleled supremacy. He's also a God of unmatched majesty. Look with me at verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? The workman molds an image. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold and the silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. After all the things we've talked about, why would anyone consider that they could create a God with more majesty than Jehovah? Skilled craftsmen have been hired throughout time to do their best work, do everything that they know, do the best that they can in carving out an image and then cover it over with some kind of precious metal. And when they're finished, you stand that next to Jehovah, it's like a little chintzy toy that you might get out of a gumball machine. And those who are poor, well they got to make their god, and so they're gonna get some wood that won't rot, maybe some cedar. We got cedar around here, it'll stay out in, the, out in the elements for a long time. Get somebody to carve me up a nice god out of cedar. And you know what they consider to be a success? Is if they can carve that piece of wood and stand it there, and it stands up on its own. It doesn't fall over. Then they've got a God that they can worship. Isn't that crazy? Our God is a God of unmatched majesty. God is, furthermore, a God of unwavering control. Look at Isaiah 40, verse 21. Isaiah 40, beginning of verse 21. Have you not known... Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sets above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth when he will also blow on them and they will wither and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. To whom then will you like me, liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them by all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. God sets above the circle of the earth. God's in control of what's going on in the earth. And we're, it says, like grasshoppers. You ever been up high in a skyscraper and looked down at the people walking on the sidewalk? What do they look like? Grasshoppers or ants? They look really insignificant down there, don't they? Because God is in control, that's what it looks like for everyone here. That's, That's the most powerful man on the earth is like a grasshopper to God. God is in control. And he's bigger than all the goings-on that are going on on the earth. You turn on the news and you see things flying all over the place. God's bigger than that. He's in control. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth when he will also blow on them, and they will wither, and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. You know, the rulers of this world like to think that they're going to be here forever and they're going to create these palaces and, and this kingdom and it's all going to be here forever and it'll be a great monument to them. No, God's in control. He can blow on them and they'll wither like the grass in your backyard in the middle of the drought that we've been having. And then a strong wind will come and blow them away. Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created all these things that bringeth out their host by number? He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might. For that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Look up in the sky. Look at all the stars. You can't even see all the stars. God knows those stars. He calls them by names. Clearly, God is in control. Because of all this, God asks the obvious question in verse 25. To whom will you then liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One. And that question has such an obvious answer that God didn't have to waste any ink to give us the answer. No one can be likened to the God that we serve. He is a God of unfathomable greatness unbounded wisdom, unparalleled supremacy, unmatched majesty, and unwavering control. There is no God that anyone can create in any figment of their imagination that could equal the Jehovah God that we serve. So what then does that mean for me? Because I told you at the beginning of the lesson, What we think about God and how we view God, that affects me and how I live. And if I don't view God the correct way, I probably won't live the right way towards Him. When I see God for who He is, then it's going to impact me. It's going to have some ramifications for my life. What is it going to mean to me? First, I want to tell you that it means that God knows what's going on with me. Look in verse 27 of Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27 Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. The Israelites were tempted to think that God didn't know what was going on in their lives. They had their struggles and they had their challenges, and they were tempted to think that, well, God just doesn't know how bad I've got it and all the things that are going on for us. But if the God that we've looked at has all the characteristics that we've noted, Doesn't it seem reasonable that he would know what's going on with us? Doesn't it seem reasonable that God would know what's going on in our lives? Certainly it does. Satan has a tool in his tool bag that he likes to use. And he uses it quite successfully. He likes to tell us that God doesn't know what's going on in our lives. That God doesn't know when we need him. He doesn't care when we call out to Him. And furthermore, He doesn't know when we fail Him and we walk away from Him. God just doesn't care. God doesn't see. But the God that we've been studying about in Isaiah chapter 40 clearly does see, doesn't He? In fact, the Scriptures tell us over and over again that He does. In 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 12, First Peter chapter three verse twelve. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Does God know what's going on in your life? Absolutely he does, doesn't he? But this is a two edged sword. God knows what's going on in our lives, but he's going to be able to know then if we're not living like we should. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Oh yes, God knows what's going on in our lives. And God knows how we're living our lives. And that's not just while we're here together at worship services. No, that's everywhere in every circumstance. God knows what's going on in our lives when we get home tonight in our families. When the doors are closed and it's just the family. He knows, kids, how you're living with regard to your parents. Are you respecting them? Are you honoring and obeying them like he told you to? He knows. Moms and dads, he knows what kinds of parents we're being. Husbands and wives, he knows what we're doing. If we're fulfilling our role as husband or wife, he knows. But it's not just at home, is it? It's when we're at work, when we're with our coworkers who are engaged in worldly activities and are encouraging us to give that an endorsement with our participation or with our approval. God knows. God knows how we behave when we're in the community, when we're in the neighborhood. God knows what we're doing. And God knows when we're alone by ourselves, what we're doing and what we're thinking. God knows. God knows what's going on with me. It's a two-edged sword. It's a very comforting thought. But it is a very sobering thought if I'm not living like I should. God knows what's going on with me. Furthermore, if the God that we've talked about has all the characteristics that we've noted, then it also means that God will be faithful. God is faithful. Verse 28 of our text in Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. It's only logical that if God is as great as we've seen from the preceding passages here, then that he can be faithful to all that he has promised. God does not faint. He's not weary. God can fulfill the promises that he's made. But here again, Satan wants to sell you a lie. And he's been trying to sell this lie from the beginning of time. That God says one thing, but he'll never be faithful to his promises. He sold that lie to Eve, didn't he? And he's been selling that lie throughout time. That God will not keep the promises that he's made. Satan wants you to think that maybe God forgot his promises. Or that he won't be able to fulfill them. Or that if he does fulfill them to some people, he won't fulfill them to me, and I'll never see his promises fulfilled. But God is faithful. And we have to have utmost confidence in that. In Psalm 9, verse 10. The ninth Psalm, verse 10. Notice what we read here. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. God has never forsaken his people. Has God ever forsaken you? This isn't just about people we read about in the Bible. What about me? Has God ever forsaken me? You know, God makes us promises that He fulfills every day, doesn't He? He's never once forsaken us. And if He's never forsaken us in the past, what makes us think it'll be any different in the future? God will not forsake us. He'll not forsake His promises. God is faithful. Furthermore, the God that we've been studying about in Isaiah chapter 40 is wise beyond comparison. Look at verse 28. Verse 28 again says, His understanding is unsearchable. You know, we look at these characteristics of God that we've talked about, His incredible greatness and unparalleled supremacy and majesty and might. And yet there are still some people who think that they are smarter than the God that we've been talking about. They think that they're smarter than God. They think they can figure out, for example, when they read an instruction, why God gave us that instruction. Because my intellect is on par with God's, and so I ought to be able to read this and understand why God told me to do that. And you know why I want to understand why God told me to do that? It's not so that I can do it. No, I want to understand why He told me to do it so that I can reason away why I don't have to do it. Although God said that, He said that rule there because of this, but that's not pertinent to me so I don't have to obey that. That's what people think because they think they're smarter than God. And they think they're so smart with God that if they can think of something better to do and they, th- they can just ignore what God said but come up with something that they think in their mind is better to do in that situation, then God will be okay with that. He'll agree with them. He'll have to yield to their wisdom for them disregarding God's instructions. It's complete foolishness, but it happens all the time. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, a familiar passage. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts tell you, brethren, we are not anywhere close to God. We're not going to understand the reason behind all the instructions he gave us. And I want to warn you, we've got to be careful about that. We fall into that trap a lot of trying to understand why God said what he said. I caught myself the other day trying to provide a reason. For example, something around the qualifications of elders we were talking about on Wednesday. We don't understand why God told us to do the things, the qualifications for elders. Now, we can reason that, well, it makes sense, but that may not be why he told us to do that. We need to be careful about thinking that we understand why God told us to do the things that he said to do. God's wisdom is beyond compare. Isaiah goes on and tells us that the ramifications of this greatness of the God that we serve, who has no equal, is we also understand that he cares for his own. Look at verse 29 of Isaiah 40. Beginning of verse 29, he gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like, with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Certainly a God as great as the one that we've mentioned and talked about tonight is able to provide for his own. And since God has no equal, who else would we want caring for us other than God? God will care for his own. And yet we worry, don't we? We worry about our jobs. Is my job going to hold out? We worry about our finances. Am I going to have enough money to pay the bills? We worry about our health. Am I going to have enough health to do what I need to do? Am I going to have enough health to take care of our kids? To provide for my family, gas prices are going up. Food prices are scary high. Don't even have to talk about what it costs to go to a restaurant. We've seen what it costs to buy a house. We've seen what's happening on Wall Street. God's going to take care of us, isn't He? 73rd Psalm, or 37th Psalm, verse 25. David says, I have been young and now I'm old, but I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. David said, I've been around for a while. And I'm starting to be to a point where I can say, I've been around for a while. And God's always taken care of me. And from the looks of all of you, he's always taken care of you too. God will take care of his people. And often we worry about our spiritual well being too, don't we? And that's more noble than worrying about our food and our clothing, is to worry about our spiritual well being. But I tell you, even that needs to be checked. You know, we worry will we be able to be faithful to God? You know, it's so hard and we sort of sense the forces of evil closing in around us, and we're forced to take a stand for what's right, and we got the pressures of family and friends and brethren pushing against us when we're taking a stand, am I going to be able to do that? Am I going to have enough fortitude to take that hard stand that God tells me I got to take? Can I do that? I don't know. I don't know if I can keep on keeping on. It's so hard. It's so difficult. What if I were to go through some type of catastrophic event? What if I were to go through a health scare? What if one of my loved ones went through a health scare? What if someone dear to me were to pass away? Could I I make it? Would I be able to endure? Maybe the best thing to do would just be to give up because we just can't do it. It's just too hard. No, God will be faithful. God will care for His own. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says it very clearly. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Can you make it? Are you going to be okay spiritually? Yes. The Almighty God that we're studying about in Isaiah chapter 40 is going to see to it that if you'll be faithful to Him, He'll be faithful to you and He'll help you to get through whatever you're faced with. And I will tell you, I've been young, and I've been old, and He's been faithful to that promise too. There's never been a time when I couldn't be faithful to Him. Now, I haven't always been faithful to Him, but it wasn't God's fault. We can be faithful to God. Young people, you've got a long life ahead of you, Lord willing, and you need to know that throughout it, whatever challenges you may face, God will be with you and you can be faithful to Him. God cares for His own. Finally tonight, Isaiah tells us and reminds us that God can and God will judge us. Verse 10 of Isaiah chapter 40. A little bit earlier than the text that we've looked at this morning, but in that same context. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand and His arm shall rule before Him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. Our God, who is like no other, who has no comparison, has the ability to judge the world, and he's coming to do just that. Now, again, this is a two edged sword. It's a two edged sword because it's going to be great to be judged by God if we're pleasing to him. But it's going to be a a terrible thing if we're not ready. 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Can you imagine that? What if the president showed up tonight and said, Hey, Joseph, I'm real pleased with how you've been living as an American. I got a medal for you. I'm going to pin it on your shirt. Wouldn't that be incredible? How about the God who measures the universe in a span or can measure all the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand? What about him giving you a crown of life? Isn't that incredible? Can you even imagine that? For those who are unrighteous, can you imagine standing before that God who looks at all the nations of the earth like dust on the scales? They're nothing to Him. And you're going to stand before Him and you're going to explain to Him why you didn't obey Him? Why you thought what He said wasn't right and you did something else? Why you explained to Him why you reasoned in your mind why you didn't have to do what He said? Can you imagine how frightening that's going to be? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30. For we know him who has said, Vengeance belongeth to me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Can you imagine how frightening that will be? We know him that has said, I think we know him a little better tonight, hopefully, after looking at his characteristics in Isaiah chapter 40. We certainly do not and cannot afford to not be right with him. We serve an incredible God. What a blessing it is to be able to serve him and be in a right relationship with him. He knows what's going on with us. He knows how we're living. He knows what we need. And he'll be faithful to all the promises that he's made. He's wise beyond comparison. When God says to do something, listen, take it to the bank. It is the right thing to do. Don't argue with it. Don't reason it away. Do what He said to do because He's wise beyond compare. He will care for His own. He will protect you. He'll protect you physically, and He'll most importantly protect you spiritually. And He's coming to judge. What a blessing it is to be able to serve the God that we serve and be in a right relationship with Him. Are you in a right relationship with Him tonight? Are you a Christian? If not, there's no better time than right now to become one. If you're a Christian and not living as you should, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Can we help you? If you can, let us know while we stand and sing.